Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you for joining us again on the program this week. And we have uh, been sharing some things with you over the last two weeks that I felt like were vitally important for this season we are living in. We stepped out of our normal series that we were doing in the Gospel of John because this pandemic hit all of a sudden. And while we've been out of the television studio, I felt like I needed to come back and really say some things that may at least give you an alternative view to all the, the doom and despair that is coming from what I believe is an old covenant paradigm. And last two programs I shared about how I believe this is really drawing a line in the sand as to whether or not we are an Old Covenant prophet or a New Covenant prophet, an Old Covenant ministry or a New Covenant ministry, a priest after the order of Melchizedek or a priest after the order of Levi. If you are a priest after the order of Melchizedek, you are a new priesthood and you serve bread and wine. If you are under Levi, you're serving doom, despair, and judgment. If you are a new covenant prophet, you are edifying, exhorting, and building up. If you are an old covenant prophet, you are prophesying doom, despair, and agony. And let me just say in fairness, people can only preach what they think they know. So I'm going to share what I think uh, today is probably maybe different than you've heard to give you an alternative view concerning some things that will help you put some things in proper perspective. Now, what my, the number one question that I have been asked from leaders, high-profile leaders, all over the world during this pandemic is, is this the end? Are we standing? Is this the signs of the last days? To which I reply a resounding, no, it is not. Now, I'm going to tell you why because I think we have looked at a lot of scriptures with the wrong lens. Number one, what I want to say to you is that context is everything. Audience relevance is everything. In the first segment I shared with you concerning these things, I guess it was uh, two weeks ago now, about the scripture that many are using, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven come and heal their land. And we pull that one verse out of the context that it's written in. But the verse above that, verse 13 of, of that chapter, says, if I smite the earth with pestilence and with plagues and, and so on. He, and, and, and I shared with you how that those plagues and the stuff that was happening there was the stuff that handles un, happens under an old covenant curse system. But Galatians 3 said Jesus was made a curse for us so that we are not under a curse. Under any shape, fashion, or form, God is not cursing us. When Jesus hung on the tree, He said, Cursed is every man that hangs on a tree. He became a curse for us. It, that's either satisfied or it's not. I mean, we can't have it both ways. 
So I don't believe we're under a curse. But let me say this to you. The second thing that I want to declare, and I'm going to take my time and unpack this probably over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at probably Matthew 24 a little bit, and a little bit of the book of Revelation. It would be too much to just exhaust it. The book of Revelation, by the way, we have a playlist on our uh, YouTube channel that uh, has all has 130 some messages that we already did on television on the book of Revelation. So you can go back there and view them at your leisure. But the first thing I want to say to you is that we, we, we read Scripture like Hebrews 1, verse 1, God who at sundry times and in times past and in diverse manners spoke to us in, through, and by the prophets, hath past tense in these last days spoken to us by the Son, whom He hath made heir of all things. And we pull that text out of context, and we don't realize, number one, he's speaking to Hebrews in the first century, and he is calling his day the last days. He's calling the last days the day when God spoke to us by His Son. In other words, He spoke to us in through by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken to us by the Son. So he calls his day the last days. The Apostle Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2, and he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel, that in the last day, saith God, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. That happened during the day of Pentecost, and Peter called his day the last days. You find in the gospel, or not the gospel, but the epistle of John, he said, little children, we know that it is the last time, because Antichrist is already on the scene. And that was, I say it like this, before Osama, Obama, Chelsea's mama, or the last Trump. That was first century stuff that was relevant to them. And so I submit to you uh, the idea that the last days are not in your future. They are in your past. The biblical last days that it's talking about was not the last days of this age, it was the last days of that old covenant age. And the reason these catastrophes and plagues and judgments would come is because God was keeping His end of the covenant bargain to enforce all of the curses of Deuteronomy because they refused to receive the true Lamb of God, which was Jesus Christ, put the blood on the doorpost of their house, and God gave them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to repent. But because they didn't, they forced His hand to keep His end of the covenant bargain, which I believe are the things that occurred in the book of Revelation when He talks about pouring out of the vows and the judgments and the seals of the book. And He says in the latter part of Revelation, these are the last plagues. He says that these are the last plagues. And what you have to understand is the book of Revelation was not written to us. It was written for us, but it was not written to us. It was written to seven churches that were really in Asia, and the book of Revelation would have to have some relevance to that first century group of people. And he tells them in chapter number one of the book of Revelation, these things are about to shortly come to pass. Shortly does not mean 2,000 years and counting. And then he includes in that chapter, and they which pierce me will look upon me. He's talking to people in the first century. Listen, 
The fact that these battles are fought in the book of Revelation with horses ought to tell you its first century relevance. Because we would not fight battles with horses today. This was something that was going to occur within the first or within yes, within the first century generation. I believe because John the apostle wrote the book of Revelation that it is his Olivet discourse. And if you read the Gospel of John, he makes no mention of the Olivet Discourse, which is the Matthew 24 prophecy that Jesus gave concerning the end of the world. And I believe the reason John does not write that in his, uh, in his Gospel is because the book of Revelation is his expanded version of exactly what that means. Now somebody said, well, you know, that's, that's good, well and good if the book of Revelation was written before A.D. 70. There's a lot of evidence that it was. Matter of fact, there's very little evidence that was written later. And the, and, and the, and the guy who wrote that the book of Revelation was, uh, was post-A.D. 70 also said Jesus was 50-some years old when He was crucified. So, but the internal evidence is probably enough for me alone because first of all says they which pierce me will look upon me and in Revelation chapter 11 the temple is still standing and has not been destroyed yet the Gentiles have yet not yet trodden underfoot the holy city which was the 42 month siege of Jerusalem under the Romans. All of this stuff was happening within the first century. All of these catastrophes, all of these plagues, all of these judgments, he says, must shortly come to pass. And to make this a point as well, he tells Daniel in the book of Daniel, when he gives him much, actually it's a version of the same story of the book of Revelation, and he's giving Daniel what will happen in the latter days. He tells Daniel, he says, seal up the words of this prophecy, because this is for a distant future. He tells him, seal up the words of your prophecy. It was several hundred years in the future that Daniel's prophecy came to pass. But what I want you to see is he tells John the Revelator, do not seal up the words of this prophecy, for the time is at hand. What I'm simply saying is for Daniel, when he talks about it's in the distant future, it was hundreds of years and shortly coming to pass does not mean 2,000 years and counting. He told him not to seal up the words of that prophecy because it would have relevance to a first century bunch of people. As a matter of fact, it was the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus gave in Matthew chapter 24. Now let me just kind of go first of all and show you something here in Matthew 23. Now Matthew 23, Jesus, let me set the context. Matthew 23, Jesus is talking after having preached and gave opportunity after opportunity and opportunity for them to repent, he gives, he prophesies, woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, woe to you. And he, he, he continues to prophesy to them, and he comes down to, uh, to, to verse number 31. Uh, no, let me start in verse 32. This is Matthew 22. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. This is the New King James, Matthew 23. Fill up then... Uh, the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge 
in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood, on you, talking to a first century bunch of people, will come all the righteous blood shed on earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the altar and the temple and the altar. Now I want you to see this because this is an important verse. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things, what? All what things? All these woes, all these catastrophes, all these judgments will come upon this generation. Not now, back then. This judgment was not coming to us. It was coming to a first century people still under the law because the last days of Hebrews 1, the last days of uh, Joel chapter 2 were the last days of the old covenant. That age was fading away and a new one was coming on the scene. And he said it would happen to those that came upon that generation. As a matter of fact, this is the fulfillment of a parable that Jesus had given to them just prior to this when he said a certain man had a vineyard. He let it out to husbandmen. And they, he sent servants to see how the vineyard was doing. Some of they killed, others they stoned. And, 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 but last but not least, he said, I'll send my son. Surely they'll receive my son. But they killed the son of the owner of the vineyard. He said, what do you think is going to happen to those wicked husbandmen? He's going to take the vineyard from them. I think in that text he also says he's going to burn their city and he's going to take the vineyard from them and he's going to give it to a nation producing the fruit thereof. In other words, that parable that he was talking about was directed towards them. They were the ones who killed the servants that he sent to them to warn them. They were the terminal generation. And he said, all of these will happen to this generation. Now let me show you again, this is the context of it. When Jesus says in Matthew 24, and I'll come back and reiterate some of this. When Jesus answers the question in Matthew 24, when will these catastrophes take place? When will this prophecy be fulfilled? When will the wars, rumors of wars and pestilence and on and on he goes. He, he answers the question, when will these things be? They ask him in Matthew 24 when he's standing there in front of all the beautiful buildings of the temple and he says to them, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. They said, tell us when will these things be? He answers that question in Matthew 24 verse 34 when he says, this generation, this generation, not way out 2,000 years in the future, but a first century Jewish audience, this generation will not pass until everything I told you comes to pass. All of the prophecies of catastrophe were not for us 2,000 years later. They were for the, these folks at the end of the old covenant age who refused to leave the, the, the bondage if you will, of an Egyptian slave system of legalism and law and come into the new covenant. Now, I've talked a lot about that in other segments. But because they would not upon that generation, see the same word that he says in Matthew 20, all these things will come upon this generation. Jesus said, this generation will not pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Because I have seen prophecy teachers pull that text out of context and tell you, no, no, no. 
This scripture means the people that see the fig tree blossom. And then they come back and show you the 1948 restoration of Israel, except let me tell you something. We are way beyond a 40-year generation, and then a 50-year generation. And on and on it has gone where they try to stretch that generation to try to make it. Now they're trying to say it's 100 years. Let me tell you something. That's not this generation right now, us in in 2020, are not the generation this was written to. This was written to a first century generation, and to do anything else with that text is to do great violence to the text. As a matter of fact, liberal theological schools discredit the fact that Jesus was in fact the Messiah on the basis of the fact that they tell our kids in liberal schools that Jesus was a false prophet and he was not correct because the things he prophesied did not come to pass in that generation. I beg to differ with that. It came to pass just like he said it did, and just because you don't understand the symbolism and the hyperbole of these contexts does not mean it did not happen. C.S. Lewis, who was one of the most respected theologians, who I respect a lot of his writings. You can have a lot of revelation in one area and no revelation in another. So, you know, that's, you know, that's, I, I respect other people that teach, that teach stuff because there's some great, great teachers that got great revelation on grace and finished work that don't have any revelation on eschatology. That may not be their cup of tea. But what I want you to see here is that he's not stretching this out to some future generation. It does great violence to the text to try to bring this thing out of context and make it fit somewhere else. And, and you, some people, somebody said to me, well, do you think it could have a double fulfillment? To which I replied, no, because Jesus said great tribulation will come such as was not since the world began, nor would ever come again. In other words, the tribulation of this sort that is as a result of the old covenant law will never come to pass again. You've been redeemed from the curse of the law. You cannot have it both ways. You can't pull the law back out and curse people that are not under a curse. That is the error of Balaam. Well, I could I could chase that rabbit, but I'm not going to do it. When Jesus is talking in the context, He said to them, this generation, not another generation, but that generation standing right there on planet earth was the ones who would see these woes to come to pass and who would see this judgment and this and the wrath that was coming. As a matter of fact, in the Luke uh, rendition of, uh, of this, He said, these are the days of vengeance, so that all things, not some things, all things that are written might be fulfilled. Now, let me just stop here again and come back to Matthew 23, and then we're going we're gonna to follow this theme probably for the next couple of weeks. In verse number 37, he said, O Jerusalem, just as right after he said, all these things will come upon this generation, he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How oft I wanted to gather your children together as a hen doth gather her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. When I think about the wings, the only place that God has wings is on the mercy seat, when the wings of the cherub stretch forth. In other words, God wanted to give them mercy, but they would not. They refused to come to the mercy of God. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you see blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that was fulfilled when he came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday.
Then Jesus begins to predict Matthew 24, the great prophecy that we always try to make fit something in the future. But Jesus is talking to that same first century audience, and the chapters here are added by translators. It is the same theme coming through as a judgment upon a first century apostate Israel. Then Jesus begins to say, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his, and, and his disciples came up to show him the building of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone will be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now the context here is the destruction of the temple. The destruction of the temple came within 40 years of Jesus gave this prophecy, exactly within that generation, a generation being 40 years. Using the model of the Exodus journey, it was a generation that came out. That was exactly the time period that He gave them every opportunity, that it would surely come upon that generation. And He said, here's what's going to happen. You're, the context is the destruction of the temple. It is the centerpiece of their religious system. It is the centerpiece of Judaism. It is the centerpiece of the Old Covenant. But it was the last days of the Old Covenant. Now let me show you this. He goes on and says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? And of the end of the age. Now King James regular Bible says, What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the world? And this is what throws us off. is because we think he's talking about the end of a cosmic collapse of the globe. But the correct translation of the word world here is the word age. And the New King James does it much better because it tr normally tries to translate it the way it really is written. What will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? I submit to you that the end of the age was not the end of this age. It was the end of the old covenant age. The Apostle Paul writes to them, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and tells them the church at Corinth, not us, the church of Corinth, a first century church. All of these things happen to you as examples upon whom the ends of the ages have come. I've put on the screen before a graph of the ends of the ages, and what I show is the circle where it was the back end of the Old Covenant age and the beginning of the New Covenant age, and right there where those two ages converged was called the ends of the ages. These people were standing at the end of an age. Uh, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite end of the world scriptures is in Hebrews chapter 9 where it says, Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. The correct translation of that word is, once in the end of the age hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, and after that the judgment. So Christ was once offered 
to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him will he appear a second time without sin unto salvation. Ladies and gentlemen, that verse is not something he's going to do in the future. It's something he already did at the end of the old covenant age as he put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. If that's in the future, we are still in our sin. And let me say this as well, because somebody would say, well, this, that's the only place in the Scripture, Hebrews 9, where it talks about Him appearing a second time. Because there are multiple appearings of Jesus from the beginning of His resurrection on through. He appears to the twelve. He appears in an upper room. He appears to Mary. He appears to Saul of Tarshish, knocks him to the ground. He walks through a wall. There's all kinds of appearings. But this terminology, He will appear the second time without sin unto salvation, in the book of Hebrews would have reminded the Hebrew student of the day when the high priest would go in beyond the veil into the most holy place with His blood, and He would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And when He would go into the most holy place and ascend into the most holy place, sprinkle the blood, the whole congregation of Israel would wait with bated breath to see if He comes back out of the most holy place or not. And if He appears a second time, then that means their sin was put away by the sacrifice of Himself. Listen, Jesus already did that. He appeared before God, and then He rose from the dead. He came back and appeared to many after His resurrection to prove to us that He put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. And I'm going to get into this much more as we begin to to move forward in this teaching, but I wanted to just kind of in this setting especially to get the time slot right. Jesus says in several places, you will not have finished going through the cities of Jerusalem until the Son of Man be come. He tells them, there are some of you standing here that will not taste death until you see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. He tells them about John, what will you if he tarries till I come? That coming was not Him coming in the cloud to get us. That was Him appearing before the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7 where He said, I saw one like a Son of Man coming on a cloud, and He appeared before the Ancient of Days, and He received his coronation as king. It was him coming in a cloud to appear before the Ancient of Days. As a matter of fact, that very statement is what got him crucified by the high priest. When he stood before the high priest, he says to him, tell us whether you're Christ or not. And Jesus says to him, listen, from henceforth you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And the high priest ran his clothes and said, he's a blasphemer. I thought, what was it that made him think he was a blasphemer? It's because he used the same terminology, and he quoted the Scripture from Daniel 7. He calls himself the Son of Man all through the Scripture, and Daniel's message and prophecy points Jesus out as the Son of Man. And when he said, you will see the Son of Man, what he was saying to Israel's high priest is, I'm the one that this is talking about, and you're going to see me coming in the clouds of, of, you're going to see me from henceforth coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, because he received his coronation as king when he appeared before the Ancient of Days, and then he distributes that same thing to the saints because he says in Daniel 7 that the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all nations will serve and obey Him. Listen, the end of the age and the last days 
This ought to give you comfort. It is not in your future. It is in your past. The last days are past days. We need to lose our last day mentality and get a new day mentality. We are living in a world without end according to the Scripture. I'm out of time. We do need your help during this time of pandemic. We're not traveling, so half of our income is cut in half. So we do need your help. If you would go to the website and give an offering via credit card or PayPal, there's a link on the opening page. You can also text to give with the number that's on the screen, or you can send a check or money order to the address that will come on the screen, or you can call the number on the screen and someone will get back with you. And we thank you for sowing into the ministry. It's what keeps us on the air. God bless you. Thanks again for joining I'm very excited to announce the release of my newest book. It is titled From Law to Grace, A Kingdom Paradigm Shift. In this book we talk about how the gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It is about receiving a life that will keep you. It is not about living this life out of fear. It is about living a life of faith. It is not about rules. It's about a relationship with a loving Father. It is about moving from the old covenant government of condemnation to the new covenant government of affirmation. It is about living life as a citizen of the kingdom right now.